evening, New Zealand. Welcome into another edition of Rugby World Cup today. My name is Daniel McCarty, taking you through the next hour alongside our Brad and Jacob. This show brought to you by Kubota Shaping and Building Australia and New Zealand. Coming up on today's episode, uh, we'll catch up with a former English international, one who played under one Eddie Jones. He's back here in New Zealand uh, with the almighty Wellington Lions. You honestly didn't think I'd get through Rugby World Cup today without ramming some Wellington propaganda down your throat. Come on. Brad Shields is going to join the show to give us his take on what he's seen at this tournament and and his thoughts on England, who I would put up there right as the flying right under the radar group, aren't they just? And uh, the nature of the draw looks pretty good for them maybe to make the final four. Um, at another World Cup, Brad Shields to join us in about six or seven minutes time. Also joining us on the program, really looking forward to catching up with a very proud West Coast boy who's been in Italy for about 20 odd years. He played uh, over 40 test matches for Italy, uh, played a couple of test matches against the All Blacks, including the last time uh, Italy and the All Blacks met at a Rugby World Cup in France. Uh, that was Marseille in 2007. Uh, we're going to welcome into the program Paul Griffin, live from Italy later this hour. Talk about his story getting to Italy and also uh, the current state of uh, Italian rugby. Uh, that is all still to come on the program. But as we always do, we like to reset and just remind you of the big stories coming out of Rugby World Cup. On a off day, no games today. Games kick off again on Thursday morning, our time. But there's no lack of news, especially... Um, sort of wafting out of the Australian quarter. Uh, sacking Eddie Jones would be the worst thing Australian rugby could do, according to former Australian captain and a power I think a lot of New Zealanders hold in high regard, Mr Sterling Mortlock. The Wallabies, of course, face a group stage elimination at the tournament for the first time after being hammered by Wales yesterday, 40 points to six. If they've already lost to Fiji, Australians' chances of securing a top two Paul C spot uh, look very, very slim indeed. While describing the Welsh match as a train wreck by Australia, Mortlock backed Jones to stay in charge of this young Wallaby side and lead them to the 2027 Rugby World Cup, which, of course, Australia is hosting. He's told the BBC's Rugby Union Daily podcast, and I quote, Eddie, as a coach and leader, is accountable, and he says this, I respect him and that he wears it. But the worst thing Australia can do is get rid of him. To say you're not the best man for the job after only six months, back your man. You picked him for a reason. Now, Jones's fate rests on a post-World Cup external review. They're having another one, would you believe, people? Another review. Uh, with Australian rugby boss Phil War um, saying the team has failed to make the grade. By my count, and I hope I got this right, over the last 20 years, Australian rugby has had, already had 13 reviews into the game. 13, this will be 14. I know this will be solely focused on the World Cup campaign, but really? They haven't listened to the other reviews all that much. Anyway, um, moving on to the rock and roll star of French rugby, world rugby, Mr. Anton Dupont, is to explore the possibility of having a custom-made fitted mask uh, this week in an effort to return to spearhead France's World Cup campaign. Now, Dupont had surgery last Friday after fracturing his cheek against Namibia, but could return now as early as the quarterfinals with hosts desperate to have their talisman back in action. Now, according to reports in France, DuPont will see a specialist who will attempt to design a protective mask in line with world rugby regulations. The sports governing body allows players to wear a thin face covering, uh, but says that, I, I just can't help but think of Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. 
I don't know why, when, when I read this story. Anyway, stay focused, Daniel. I get a little bit distracted. Uh, yeah, you can wear a, th- a thin face covering, uh, but there can be no hard materials on it, and a player must not wear any item of which is thicker than 5 millimeters when uncompressed or is denser than 60 kg per cubic meter. There you go. World. If you thought World Rugby's rulebook was not layered enough, apparently they've gone that deep, Brad. On what you can put on your face. Maybe he'll look like Rey Mysterio or something um, while he's out there in the park. Or do you remember the master demolition used to wear back in the day? Or or the Undertaker's brother Kane? Maybe something like that? Like, uh, yeah. Or, or who was the main character of Halloween? Maybe you get one of those Jason. masks. You know, yeah. Put, yeah, Jason. Come out and look like Jason. I or, asked, or an ice hockey goalkeeper from the 50s. I asked this to Beave and, and he said, look, there may be an element of this, but do you think this is the French looking at that Springbok Island game and saying, man, we're going to need our best 15 on the park to, to beat those uh-huh. guys? Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, quarters final, uh, one and the same, aren't they? Sorry to everyone on the other side of the draw, but it does look very top heavy. Um, top four heavy who all are on a collision course to the quarterfinals. Speaking of which, one of those teams... Uh, one of those players, their captain to be exact, Johnny Sexton, says Ireland are not thinking beyond their next game against Scotland uh, as they seek to avoid a repeat of the previous World Cup failures. And they should. They should. This is a potential banana skin game. Uh, last team to beat France in France? In Paris? Scotland. Okay, I'm going back to 2017, but I'm you know I'm choosing my narrative there, Brad. Um, and, and I know that Ireland might have won eight of the last internationals against Scotland, and Scotland's won one of the last 13. But it could happen, right? I'm a little bit biased. Uh, the Irish captain emphasised there's no complacency in the cap. We are not talking about being champions. We are talking about the next game. Now, it's all about Scotland. We're not thinking about anything beyond that. Now, it seems and sounds rather similar to what the All Blacks are saying. Here is Scott McLeod. Uh, who fronted the latest uh, All Black media um, session when asked if Ireland is a good quarterfinal opponent. I have rats and possums on my property, and that's a trap right there. Um, I know what a trap looks like. I know what it smells like. um, And that, to me, is a trap right there. Pure thing being we we deal with what's in front of us. Italy are a very good side, and if we look too far ahead or start thinking about others, uh, we'll come undone. So we can't do that. Interesting that he's got rats and possums on his property. That would scare me. That would scare. I'd move out immediately. I'm way too metrosexual for that, Brad. I can't have that. I can't have that. And let's uh, wrap things up by putting on a bow on the Wallabies story. Steve Hansen. He didn't help the Wallabies much, did he? He was in camp with the Wallabies for a couple of uh, days now, wasn't he? He's great mates with Eddie Jones. Nothing wrong with defending your mates. Here is uh, Sir Steve Hansen uh, coming to his uh, coming to the defence on the AM show earlier today when uh, he discussed um, the plight of Eddie Jones and the Wallabies. Eddie has been a great coach. He still is a great coach. Um, it'd be really, really easy to turn around and... and uh, talk about the coaching and the players, but the inconvenient facts are that Australian rugby uh, needs an overhaul, and um, it has done for some time. They haven't won the Bledisloe Cup for 20 years. Um, they've gone through a cycle of sacking coaches, Robbie Deans, Dave Rennie, McKenzie. Like what they've got to do is actually peel the onion back and have a look at what, what's not going right. Are they developing uh, coaches properly? I don't mm. think so. 
Are but, they developing but, their players properly? I don't think so. Uh, rugby competition, super rugby competition, right for Australia, having five teams? I don't think so. He's got to try and create some belief in his group. That's all he's done. And, and mm. OK, well, he, would I have done that? Maybe not, but I'm not Eddie. And I'm not, I'm not working in that environment. And, uh, you know, if the worst thing he's done is said that they can win the World Cup and they haven't, then you know, he'll join a lot of other coaches. 2007, we thought we were going to win it and we got beaten. And it forced us to actually, A, the New Zealand Rugby Union um, gave us a second shot. And then it forced us to answer some of the, the questions that needed answer that were just not surface questions. They were the ones that were a bit deeper. Australian rugby needs to do that. Until until they do that, they're not going to get any better. Like They're very tribal. If you look at Australia, what they're really great at, and, and the state of origin is a classic example of it, state v state. Mm. Now, if you're making decisions that are based on the state and not the national game, then you're not going to get things right. Like if you don't know anything about rugby, don't talk to me. Eddie Jones. I love Eddie Jones. He's so colourful, considering how mundane so many people are in this world in front of a microphone. Uh, let's welcome in a man now uh, to not just reflect on the Wallabies, but to look at this tournament from a current player's perspective, a man who played international rugby for England, who ironically was given his test debut uh, by Eddie Jones. Probably would have played under Eddie Jones at the last World Cup if a foot injury did not scupper his chances of making it uh, for the Roses at uh, Rugby World Cup 2019. He's back in New Zealand these days, back in the Riviera of the South Pacific, that is Wellington, on another glorious day in Wellington, isn't it, Brad Shields? <laughs> Welcome to the show, my friend. All is right in the world. You're back in Wellington, and Wellington look unbeatable. How good's life? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I'm looking out the window now. I can't see much more than 100 metres. But um, <laughs> apart from that, Wellington's been fantastic, mate. And, and you're right, it's good to be home. And um, yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you, you did debut under Eddie. You know, what can you tell us You know, about playing under Eddie Jones? He's full of colour, he's full of life. He's a lightning rod for criticism. Doesn't help when his team performs like that and he's got to wear responsibility, he's taken it. But in your dealings with him, how, how would you describe him as a bloke? I've I've actually you know what I've actually got on really well with him and and the one thing he did for me personally was he actually brought the best out of me um, yeah and and he runs a really tight ship and and I'm I'm sure he's a little bit more harsh on his management than he is on the players um, but he just wants the best out of the players and and he tries his actually utmost to get the best out of the players and he's a real thinker in the game he's he's not your you know your average coach who just turns up and and does the same as the next guy. He's actually trying to reinvent the game as he goes, and you can see that in some of the way that he coaches and, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I loved it, and, and he tested me real mentally. Um, same as Steve Borthwick when he, he was the Fords coach. It was, it was a real yes. different step up for me in, in, in terms of that um, environment, and I, I think it did get the best out of me, and, and, and I was playing some of the best rugby up in the, up in the north um, when I first got up there. Yeah, so they were pushing your buttons in the right way. And, you know... Every, every person's different, but, but you enjoyed it. Would I be right to say it's sort of a confrontational sort of style at times? That, that he's, willing, yeah, you know, he's willing to call out coaches and players at trainings, it seems. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and I mean, I guess the, there's a fine balance these days in rugby. And, and, yeah. and you're right, it doesn't always work for every person. And I might be slightly different to the guy next to me, but um, that's understanding your team and I think he does understand individuals but at the same time he'll come down hard if he thinks you can do more for the team and he thinks you can do more for yourself 
um, he'll tell you that. And and I think for me, um, there is a balance in terms of that mental switch on. And sometimes in that environment, it can be overstimulating all the time, constant on. Whereas you yeah. need that balance, you need that break away from rugby per se and get your head out of the book, so to speak. So I do think there's a definitely definite balance, and he pushes that right to the edge. But when you're in a campaign like a Six Nations or an Autumn Internationals or End of Year Tours or All Black sort of treat it as, it's not a big window. It's not a you know it's not a Premiership year where you're playing you know 24 games on the trot where you're constantly having to try and reinvent blocks in the season. You can go pretty hard for for short periods of time, um, but I can see guys in the environment of being there for you know, 100 tests or 70 tests, it could, you know, it could start to wear thin. Do you know what I mean? So um, yep, there's definitely absolutely. a balance. But for me, in a nutshell, I, I think I, he got the best out of me. And um, and yes, it was tough, but I, I enjoy those sort of environments. I'm on the top of blokes, put my head down and get to work. And, um, yeah. you know, if something needs to be said, then I'll say it. But at the same time, like, I, I, my actions, I like to speak louder than the words, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, Brad Shields is with us, uh, current Wellington, uh, Lewis Ford, and of course former English international. I, I'm keen to pick your brain about England, but I, I'm really fascinated by this. You're in a campaign, a national, provincial campaign. I, I know not all contemporary rugby players are big watchers, but, but what about when you're getting around Lions camp? Are you guys talking about this World Cup? You're exchanging ideas, I like that team, I like this player? Or, or, or is that sort of removed and you guys are literally in your own sort of bubble? No, nah, not at all. Like it's Not in our own bubble. We're... we're... We're pretty um, a rela- not not a relaxed environment. We definitely demand the best out of each other. But with the games being on at like you know three, four o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, the first thing you kind of talk about when you get to like when yeah. we got to Porirua Park, we did a walk through it. Terahu, oh my goodness me, Arena, excuse me. Um, and and the first thing we're talking about is the Irish uh, South Africa game. I didn't I didn't actually watch it, but. You know, we talk about levels of physicality and, and then you've got time sort of trying to pick apart some of those World Cup oh, games yeah. and show pictures that we can use for ourselves because everyone's always... You would have enjoyed playing brain. in it, Brad. You would have enjoyed playing. And, oh, I've, I've seen highlights now. Um, one of the most physical matchups um, in, in the last sort of few years so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, brilliant! So, yeah. so you're, you're you know tr- trying to glean. So, who have you enjoyed playing? Might be, or watching? If there's an individual or a team, anyone surprised you? Um, you know what? I'm always sort of tuning into the to the teams, almost like the tier two nations, because yeah. Um, I guess if if you look at the way in, in France at the moment, they're getting right behind the World, World Cup, right? There's, it looks from from the TV. I don't know if it is or not, but it looks almost close to sell out most games. Um, everyone's giving everything, and some of these tier two nations are, are really testing um, these tier one nations for you know 60 minutes, and that's that's the game evolving around the world, and that's what I like to see. And um, and you know you've got coaches now who who I've seen coaching tier one nations now spreading their wings a little bit and going to help out some of these tier two nations just to try and bridge the gap between you know what's perceived to be top class sides and then and then the rest of the the pool that kind of. That kind of float in and around, being all right for 20 minutes, or come up with a few big hits, sort of thing. So I just like the where rugby is in the world and the competitive edge they've got, and, and like like the South Africa um, Island game. I know it's not a tier two nation, but you, you can hardly pick a team apart. You know what I mean? It's it's just it's just right to the wire. It's 80 minutes, um, and it's probably for me anyway from afar. It's been pretty enjoyable to watch um, the games that I have watched. We'll get you out on this one. Looking at England, your former side. Um... 
they, they cruised past Chile 71 points to nil in their last game, and I think Chile's one of those teams you're referring to, the Tier 2 Nation, who have been really enterprising at, stay, at times, and I thought started the game really well. Uh, ended up 71 points to nil. England yeah. had such a bad build-up, Brad. What were you thinking about your former team in the lead-up? Because every time I saw their results, I'd, I'd have to check the starting lineup and go, That's actually, <laughs> that looks like a really good team on paper. Why is it not clicking? Well, the thing is, like, and going back to the Eddie factor, I suppose the ship he rang at, at the last World Cup. Like, you've got to remember that a lot of that squad um, were the team that beat the All Blacks in that semi-final. You know, minus a few. Obviously, there's a few changes, but the core of that squad is similar. Um, and obviously, made it to the final, couldn't quite get over the line. So people do. People are quite fickle. They forget about, you know, what Eddie has done for for English rugby in the past. Um, and that team at the moment had had so much change in terms of. Um, a few up and down results, coaching staff, everything sort of moving around. So, so kind of like Australia, didn't have as much time to gel, I don't think. But at the same time, you've got to go through that adversity. You've got to go through those games to learn quickly for a, for a tournament like the World Cup. Because if, if we've seen in the past before, you know, teams are peaking before they get to the World Cup. And if you're going into the World Cup with like edge, shit, no matter what what game you're yeah. playing, if we need to be at our absolute best, whether it is Chile. Uh, whether it is Argentina, like we haven't had a good run of results, so we've got to play our absolute best every week. Otherwise, we're not going to make it far in this competition. So you can say it's probably a good thing that they, they dropped a few games leading into the World Cup. And I've, I looked at some of the comments. I don't, I don't really read the media too much or anything like that. But, you know, it's obvious they're getting bagged um, for the way they were playing and the type of style they were playing. And, and now flip it on its head. They've, you know, they've won a couple of games pretty well, they look pretty good and then everyone sort of changes their tune a little bit so I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they go to this competition you know Yeah, I think expectations are low on them and that's when I, that's when I fear England, the talent's yeah. there expectations yeah. are low uh, and I'm with you, they're going deep if not to the semis, if not beyond, the way the draw's shaking yeah. down, it looks, it, it looks really rosy for them, excuse the pun as we wrap this up yeah, yeah, no, and, and and they've got experience too. So, you know, the likes of Ford and Farrell running the ship, but Toji's been there before. Um, you've got guys who've been there, done that. So it only it only takes a little bit of spark from those guys, a little bit of, you know, wise words or whatever it is, point boys in the right direction, and then other boys will just roll their sleeves up and do work. Um, and that's what you want at the World Cup. You want game drivers who really understand what position, what it takes to get ahead on the scoreboard and hold that. Like, like you look at their you know, drop kicks and penalties to win a game. You think if you look at the score, they scored three tries. But World Cups, World Cup rugby, and you're just looking for wins. Yeah. Hey, Brad, lovely to chat to you again, mate. Uh, hopefully tomorrow you can see 110 metres out your window. Uh, you know, small incremental yeah, games so. in Wellington this time. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look good we'll for the week. The... Especially doesn't look good for the weekend, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, and up the lines, mate. Keep it going, mate. Appreciate Cheers, mate. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Yeah. See you later. That's uh, Brad Shields. Uh, former English international, given his test debut under uh, under Eddie Jones. Interesting insights on both Eddie Jones. And a side Brad, who was definitely flying under the radar, England, right? Uh, they're a about? World Cup semi-final bound, potentially, Daniel. Minimum. I think so. would think so. And as Brad does point out, you know, there's, you know, there's a large chunk of that squad from four years ago that are there uh, again. It is 23 minutes after 6 o'clock. You are listening to Rugby World Cup today. With Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Paul Griffin out of Italy later this episode. On the other side, we'll hear from Scott McLeod and our breakout star of today. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Rugby World Cup today. All thanks to Kubota. Together we are shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Time for our breakout performance with Breakout River Meats. 100% Australian meat locally produced from Cowra, New South Wales. The stupid me, Brad. I completely forgot mm. the hints in the name of the show. Rugby World Cup today. That yesterday was the last show. No, there was a show today. So I kind of revealed my hand yesterday for my nomination today. Uh, I gave it to... Uh, Captain Jack Morgan yesterday, the Welsh captain, who was brilliant at the number seven. Uh, I'm going to the dark arts of the weekend. In this day and age of props playing 45, 55 minutes, if that, Andrew Porter sticks out like a sore thumb for a number of reasons. The mullet, the ears, the face that is covered in the park, sorry, the uh, Stade de France turf, uh, the blood gushing from the air throughout most of that game, the fact that he was almost playing it out half, first 5-8 New Zealand parlance a number of times. Lovely little silky skills. 75 minutes the loose head prop played. He was immense. 75 minutes. That's just unheard of in today's day and age. So my breakout performance, Mr. Andrew Porter. Christian Cullen and I, fair to say, were gushing in our love for him in our commentary on Sunday morning. So uh, no surprise, uh, he gets the nod today. Our breakout performer of the day with Breakout River Meats. 100% Australian meat locally produced from Cowra. And only found at your local independent butcher. At half past six, let's go inside the All Blacks camp quickly before we head off to news. Uh, let's catch up with uh, defence coach Scott McLeod. Uh, he too, uh, like Christian Cullen and I, rather impressed with the intensity of that South Africa Ireland game over the weekend. I was hugely impressed with the intensity of the game. Uh, set piece um, pressure was huge um from both sides uh, but the defense and the movement and the collisions for as long as it was was immense and I'm, a lot of us just were really impressed with watching that game so it's definitely the standard he, he was also asked if italy the next opponent of course this coming saturday full coverage right here on scnz your home of the rugby world cup uh if italy has improved under the great kieran crowley yeah absolutely uh we've had close games with him in the past on tour uh, this year in the Six Nations, they pushed every team. Um, last year, they you know they won some critical games. Um, they really evolved their attack. That, from what I can see, um, they're playing. They had the fastest fastest ball available in Six Nations, so that's better than Ireland. You know that's and that's quick. So they know their game and they're playing it well. They went winless though. Uh, also, in Six Nations should probably make mention of that. Uh, what does he expect, though, from Italy this coming weekend? Yeah, they, like I say, they're a team that can recycle the ball very fast. Um, their lightning quick ball is the best Six Nations. We're aware of that. Uh, they have really upped their skill set in terms of their pass and running lines. Like They keep the defenders gauge, engaged for a long time and hold them. And then the, the ability to play out the back or to play the guy right next to them. So... That's quite hard to defend. You know, you, you need a certain skill set where you can see what's happening and then be able to move quickly. Um, and they're very good at that. Um, and they're very good at, at sweeping around to an edge, you know, play, trying to bunch you in the middle and then sweep around to an edge, much like France do, and effectively. So um, those threats we were aware of and, and we've got plans in place on how we can combat that. Wow. Really, Scott? They've won one of their last 25 Six Nations games. One of 25. Anyway, maybe I'm a little bit down on Italy. I'm glad Scott McLeod is not. Maybe I'm complacent. Maybe I'm taking my eye off the ball. 
and looking further ahead against the game, maybe against Ireland in the quarterfinals. Dalton Papali'i uh, spoke about uh, the intensity of that South African Ireland game, and fair to say the All Black Lucy was fizzing. That's what fans fans love to watch games like that. Two um, two great teams going at it, and also there were some moments in that game where you know you, you would hold your breath for uh, longer than usual in those moments. So those are the games. Even as players, you know we try to watch those games and you know sort of try watch it as a as a player and get some you know some uh, detail and see what they're doing. But it's hard to not turn into a spectator and and actually be on the edge of your seat watching those games because. That's how rugby should be played, you know, how the game flowed so well. Um, there, no, you know, there was no calls around head highs or shoulder to heads or anything. It was clean contact and it was it was fast ball as well. So those are the games uh, I love watching and, um, and I think everyone can agree on that. Here we have it, the very latest out of the All Blacks camp. Let's head off though at 27 minutes away from 7 o'clock to the news with Johnny Mack. Thank you very much, Johnny Matt. 25 minutes away from 7 o'clock. I'm, I'm doing my math here. I, and of course, discretion of I think I think Italy have won one of their last 50. 50. 50. Six Nations games, Brad. Someone needs to double check that. Not an impressive that's, record, that's Daniel. No. Got to go back to 2013. And they won two. But let's find out more about Italian rugby. Yes, you're calling me just an arrogant New Zealand rugby fan. And you know what? It's okay. I can wear it. I'm big enough and ugly enough. But one man who knows a whole heap more about uh, Italian rugby, Paul Griffin's going to join the show. Before we head to our break, he played for Italy over 40 times, played the All Blacks a couple of times, West Coast born. Uh, good sound Kiwi accent still, despite spending 20-odd years in Italy. But before we take our break and then join him live out of Italy, let's get to our Rugby World Cup schedule. Rugby World Cup 2023 schedule. Thanks to Kubota. Together, we are shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. As I mentioned at the top of the show, no games until Thursday morning New Zealand time. That's Uruguay and Namibia. That's their World Cup final, people. For those two sides, that is their World Cup final. So that's Thursday morning New Zealand time, about quarter to five. As far as games that we've got coming up for you, uh, the following game is Japan up against Manu Samoa Friday morning, 7.30 a.m. Scotty Stevenson, Stevenson and Steve Devine. Got ahead of myself there. Sorry, fellas. We'll have the call from 7.30 onwards. Kickoff is at 8. And then 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, uh, join myself and Christian Cullen as we count down. Hour-long build-up up to the All Blacks up against Italy. Uh, kicking off at 8 o'clock. And then Monday morning, Australia up against Portugal. Remember, you've got to finish third. You've got to finish third uh, to qualify automatically for the next World Cup. Luckily for Australia, they are hosting the next World Cup. So um, the pressure is off, you could uh, you could argue. But Australia, Portugal, Sam Hewitt, Steve Devine have the call 4.30 on Monday. There is your latest Rugby World Cup schedule. Thanks to Kubota. Together we are shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Coming up after the break... Live from Italy, Paul Griffin, former Italian international. West Coaster at heart, he joins the show. Seventeen minutes away from seven o'clock. This is Rugby World Cup today. My name is Daniel McCarty, and on Saturday morning, alongside Christian Callan, I'll have the honour of calling the All Blacks up against Italy. The All Blacks, after a week's hiatus, are looking to rip back into it. All important game for both these uh, nations for obvious reasons. After bites on their 
uh, World Cup card so far. Right now, we are going to head to Italy, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere between Milan and Venice. Calvisano, if I'm not mistaken, in the heart of Brescia. We catch up with a man who, uh, born on the west coast of New Zealand, who has been in Italy for a number of years. He played for Italy for a very long time, played over 40 test matches, played against the All Blacks, if I'm not mistaken, on a couple of occasions, including coming off the bench uh, when these two nations met at the 2007 World Cup in Marseille. I am thrilled to welcome into the programme Mr Paul Griffin, who joins us out of Italy. Hello, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us really early in the morning over there. How are you doing? Mate, I'm all good. I'm all good. And yet your homework was spot on, mate. You've done very well on all the info, so... No, it's, it's all good here, mate. All good. Mate, I'd like to know, how on earth have you not lost that New Zealand accent? Because you've been over there more than two decades, right? <laughs> yeah, 24 years I've been here now. No, I don't know, I don't know either, mate. Just, I don't, actually don't speak English very often, so if I make some mistakes now during this, that's probably the reason I've kept my accent, because I don't speak it very often. So, so how did you get there? And why did you stay? Oh, long story short, basically we just come across originally for three months um, to get a bit of time. I'd had a few injuries down in Christchurch where I was playing at Linwood um, yep. and come across to Italy for for three months and then just kind of sliding doors, I suppose. You got in the right place at the right time and fell in love with the country. I'd just been married as well with my, my Kiwi wife, so we thought we'd hang around for another year or so and we're still here 24 years later. So she has the Guinness World Records for the longest honeymoon in the world. Well, being, being married to you is a honeymoon, right? Every day, I understand. Oh, mate, she's the luckiest woman in the world, exactly. <laughs> uh, you, you, I'm just trying to think back. You probably played under JK, right? Was Sir John the one who gave you your yep. start? Or was it yep, was? It was. Yep. So, so, yeah, it was so when you went, did you have any idea, like any sort of inclination, oh, I, hey, this might end up in international rugby? No, not really. When, obviously, when you first come across, it was just to come across to... You know, to have a bit of experience, get a bit of get away from from New Zealand, I suppose, and just experience Europe, and then just things happen, mate. You know, you're in the right place at the right time. You get you get lucky. I mean, I got lucky. A guy called Alessandro Troncon who played 100 104 tests for Italy got injured um, just after the World Cup in 2003. JK had taken over, and I oh, saw JK was in charge, and he just said, "Look, Griff, come and have a crack." So uh, yeah, I had a crack in there, and then stayed there for five years, which was yeah, you, mate. You're lucky. You, like I said, the right place at the right time, and you just. You, you, you lap it up, don't you? Yeah, you do. Playing under Pierre Bibizia at the World Cup in 2007. He was a pretty fine uh, number nine, fair to say. Uh, but that, probably the highlight of that um, was playing the All Blacks for you personally. What, what was that experience like? Oh, it was amazing, mate. It was amazing. We played in Marseille. <clears throat> Obviously, you talked about Pierre Bibizia as well. You know, he was he's a good tactician too. He's a very good strategic coach. Um, very big on motivation. And obviously, the French thing about New Zealand as well, there was a lot of, um, extra emotion, I suppose you could say, before that game. And I think the one thing that stuck out, and actually, I was liaison officer for the All Blacks two years ago when they were in Italy and Rome, and they have a thing in the, in the All Blacks clubhouse, and you had to get up and talk about stuff. And I talked about Gilbert and Oka about it, but that game there against the All Blacks, we actually, Pierre Bizier decided that we weren't, we weren't going to face the Haka. So, as a Kiwi, that was, you know, it was a horrible, it was a horrible day um, to not actually face up to the Haka, and you had to obviously respect the the team culture at that time for Italy, but it was very, very tough. And during that that week of um, with the All Blacks two years back, um, obviously I got to spit that out to the All Blacks too because it had been, you know, riding on my mind for a long time. And it was uh, something nice to get off my chest. And it was just nice that you know teacher Perinara and boys like that were were accepted and said, "Look, bro, just get on with it. Just, just carry on. You know, we forgive you know that kind of stuff." So it was actually quite a nice release. But the World Cup in itself to play against the All Blacks was unreal, unreal. Yeah, I, 
I, I bet. Speaking of that Italian team culture, how, how would you describe it? Uh, for, from your uh, time in it over an extended period, you know, what makes that team tick? You know, how do you describe the dynamic? Oh, just, it's, this is just a lot, a lot of passion. Obviously, a lot of passion. And I think the thing that's happened with Italian rugby too, I've had a lot of different co- cult, uh, coaches from different cultures, you know, South African, French, and obviously Kiwi through Brad Johnson, John Kerwin, and now Kieran Crowley as well. So they've never really identified their personal identity. Uh, but now under Kieran, he's been here for so long, I think you know he's he's helped Italian rugby turn the corner. You know he's he done some amazing things with Benetton Treviso uh, in the United Rugby Championship, and then he's come into Italy and he's done some amazing stuff. Unfortunately, uh, they're not going to um, continue his uh, his coaching expertise after the World Cup. But you know he's he's brought in a lot of stuff, which I think in New Zealand is it's just normal. You know the culture is very very strong. I think there's a lot of love and there's a lot of care. You know he he really cares about his players and his players. You know talking to a lot of them and I've. I've known through the academy system over the years gone by. You know, they've got a lot of time and a lot of love for Kieran as well. And I think, you know, having that kind of relationship has, has created what Italian rugby is doing in now at the moment. You know, we're not getting massive results, but they're playing some attractive rugby. And I think they've, they've rekindled the faith and the, um, the enjoyment for Italian supporters, you know, because rugby in Italy is not a massive sport. You know, it's probably considered, I think, I read an article a couple of weeks back. It's the 13th most important sport in Italy, you know, behind fencing, behind basketball, volleyball, soccer, obviously. So it's not um, a sport where every day it's in the newspaper or it's on the TV, on the news, on TV. So I think what they're doing at the moment is, is massive and, and hopefully the sport can just keep growing because they, the potential is massive. What is the fan base like? I'm a, I'm a big fan of football, big fan of culture, big fan uh, no, fascinated oh. with the ultras in Italy. <laughs> yeah. How do you describe that, the yeah. Italian rugby fans? No, I mean, it's good. It is very good at the moment. You know, they've taken on uh, the massive thing of the aftermatch. You know, everything's about, it's called Tids or Tempo, so the third half. And it has become huge, mate. It has become really massive. And like in New Zealand, you know, there's a beer company over here called Peroni, who they are the major sponsor of Italy after all the Six Nations games and the home games. So there is a massive village up and, you know, people just people are loving it at the moment. You know, obviously results make a difference. And now that we've got a couple of, you know, world class players, you know, and Angie Capozzo, uh, Michele Lamara, the captain, Paolo Garbisi, you know, it makes it um, easier to sell, I suppose you can say, to the fans because they can identify the rugby and the you know the possible results with with some people who actually make a difference in, in world rugby that are known worldwide rather than just internally. Paul, this might be a very crude analysis, but I look at their Six Nations results, see one win since the start of 2014. I think that's one in 50. My maths is hopeless. But but you, you yeah. feel those results don't fully fully sort of, uh, you know, describe that they have turned a corner. Can you just elaborate on that, you know, um, and maybe give the New yeah, Zealand no, listeners an insight of what the All Blacks are going to face? Yeah, no, there was, a, there was a lull from probably 2000 and... Oh, even before that, 2011 till about 2018, 19. And then there has only been one result, but the, you know, the gap is closing. Um, but I think you know what Italy can offer against the All Blacks. I honestly think that Italy should keep all their eggs in, in their basket for the game against France the week after. But reading an article yesterday that Kieran wrote, he wants to have a crack at New Zealand and and you know just prove to the world that they can take on the best. So. I think, you know, Italy at the moment, they offer something which is completely different. Maybe it's like Japan four years ago at the World Cup, you know. They're not physically massive. Um, their skill set has improved a hell of a lot. They've got a lot of good, uh, there's a lot of clarity in how they want to attack and what they want to do on attack. 
very aggressive in defence, and they've got some really good um, game managers through Tom, Tommaso Allen and, and Paolo Gabizzi. So they just it's a team now where they're physically not going to dominate you. You know, like in years gone by, you know, we had Custer Giovanni and, and guys like that. You know, the scrum was always the, the talking point. But now it's more about moving the ball around. You know, I think the most attractive thing about Italy at the moment is they attack from everywhere. So they can attack from their own goal line. You know, have a crack at it anyway. It might not always come off, but they're prepared yeah. to have a go, which I think is what everyone appreciates, you know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. They play with great pace, don't they? Uh, I think Scott McLeod even talked yeah, about do. that, the defence coach, and how quickly they recycled the ball. I'll get you out on this one. You've mentioned some good names of world-class talent. Where are they smattered across the park for the, the uninitiated New Zealand fan? And you know there's probably more than a few, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no. I mean, Andrew Capozzo is a, he's a young fellow playing in France in Toulouse. He's just come on, on the scene about three years ago. He is obviously a world breakout player last year. Um, he's at 15. Then you've got Paolo Garbizzi, will be at 12. He plays in Montpellier in France. You know, he learned a lot of his stuff over... To the first two years in Montpellier with Andre Pollard, was play, he was playing above him. So he obviously learned a lot of his game management through there. Obviously, Andre Pollard at the moment is the man that everyone's talking about, about South Africa having to kick goals and stuff, which is another another argument. Um, and then in the in the pack, you know, you've got you've got just got workhorses, mate. You've got no real standout superstars, but you've got workhorses. You know, Seb Negri plays six. Michele Lamaro, who's a young captain, he's like a young, it's a very, very high thing, but... He looks like a young Richie McCaw who just does everything and just leads by example. Very passionate. And then a really young front row who uh, are solid, you know, a tight five who work well. So it's a team which you'll see physically they're not big, but they will give everything they've got for for the Azuri jersey and for the public and everyone that supports them. And I think the biggest thing, like I was saying about Kieran before that he's brought in, is that you know, he's brought in the whole family thing. You know, he's, he's riding on the, the passion yeah. of the Italians, um, all that kind of stuff there. And, oh, it's massive, mate. It's massive. Well, enjoy it, my friend. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time, taking our call so early. I know you're still connected uh, with the sport. Yesterday, I think you are in a vineyard picking grapes with, with your local club team. Uh, you know, how Italian does <laughs> yeah, that sure. sound, my friend? Paul Griffin, wonderful to have you on the show. Go well, my friend. Uh, do appreciate your Cheers, time. Bro. Thanks so much. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Cheers, right. Oh. Once a Kiwi, always a Kiwi, eh? Cheers, bro. Thank you, Paul Griffin. Hopefully he's uh, giving you a little bit of insight into uh, rugby in Italy. Uh, the All Blacks up against Italy Saturday morning. Our coverage starts at 7 o'clock. Kickoff is at 8. Oh, the Oscar music's playing. That means it is time to wrap things up. Huge thanks to Paul Griffin, the former Italian international, former proud West Coaster, of course, and uh, Brad Shields out of the Wellington Lions, former English international. Uh, I'm jumping across to Smithy's show uh, for the uh, foreseeable future. Uh, I just want to say a huge thanks to Brad, to Jacob, to Huckleberry, to my travelling husband, Logan, uh, for the uh, great assistance um, in helping provide um, great support and hopefully um, provide you, the listeners, a great uh, product here on Rugby World Cup today. Don't worry, it will be back tomorrow from 6 o'clock. Until next time, team, take it easy and catch you some other time.